Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Today we are kicking off round two of a teaching series we started last year. Last February, we took some weeks and we did a series called Family Matters. And I felt very much we needed to jump back in because last year, if you were here, we took four weeks and we never really got anywhere practical. It was more philosophical. And it was very important what we covered. And it was like stuff we needed to talk about to frame in the concept of what God had in mind with families. However, I want to just shift gears for the next few weeks and I want to get super practical on how we as parents and as kids, how we can actually do our job to see the family flourish. That's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. But to catch you up, if you weren't here last year, I'd love you to go back on YouTube because we kind of covered some foundational stuff as it pertains to the family. But in a nutshell, here's the big ideas that we sort of laid down last year in our series called Family Matters Round One. And we first kind of identified some biblical Christian conclusions that seem to run up against maybe some cultural currents of our day. And here, here, here's a few of them. First, that family, marriage, gender, and gender are not social or human constructs, but they've been ordained by God. That to be a Christian is to believe that some of these things that God has done outside of our permission, and these weren't things that we developed on our own, that God actually instituted gender, male and female, that God instituted marriage, and God instituted, you know, the, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Number two, of all living things, human life is the most sacred because we have been created in the image of God. And so we, we talked about that. And then we talked about how God called it good, blessed even, commanded even, that we as human beings be fruitful and multiply. Making babies, good. <laughs> Having kids, good. Kids are a blessing. Can I get an amen? amen? They're a blessing. And so it's very important that we establish those things because some of the messages you're getting in culture today are things like, well, the earth is overpopulated. Well, you can believe that or you can believe that God meant, meant it when he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so we, we established these things. But in a nutshell, here is the big idea as it pertains to families. We, we said it like this. The human family has been created by God. It's been designed and destined to reflect God's image and glory on the earth. To carry forward his rule and reign through community, multiplication, and governance unto the flourishing of all things. No big deal. In other words, God's design to see the fruitfulness and flourishing, his good pleasure on the earth is through healthy families. This was God's plan from the beginning. And so we, we kind of zoomed in and we said, what, what does it mean for us then? And we, we asked this question, what if... Revival and the transformation of society actually starts in the home. Like what if thousands of little renewals in homes across Atlantic Canada pours over into a great sweeping revival that transforms society? That maybe it's kind of God's plan from the beginning to go ground up. And so this was what we began last year. And here we are in round two. And I want to get a little more specific in what is our job and how can we see the life and flourishing that God has in mind for our families? How can we see that unlocked? And I want to just for the next four weeks, can you hang with me for four weeks? 
we're going to talk about just a few things that we can do. Hacks for healthy homes. What's a hack? A, ha- a hack is something that you do to make something easier, right? Make something work. And, and I want to give us four weeks on hacks for healthy homes. And then we're going we're gonna to cover that starting today. Here is the first hack for healthy homes. Are you ready? I can feel, I can feel just the good vibes. All right. Good vibes only. <laughs> healthy home hack number one. Here it is. Great children. Some of you are like, wow, thank you. I needed that wisdom, Pastor Brent. Now, hang with me now, uh, because it actually means more than you think it does. Great children are a key to the flourishing of the home and society, and now it might mean more to you than what you think. Great children are the key. Now, why do I bring that up? Here's what I have noticed as a pastor Just over the last two decades, as I've walked in community with so many of you, I have noticed that a disproportionate amount of brokenness, sinfulness, addiction, trauma, a disproportionate amount of it that appears in an individual's life is connected to their childhood and to their family upbringing. Not in every case, but in a disproportionate amount. I've seen it so many times. A guy has an anger problem he can't get a hold of, and you get talking to him, and it stems back to a moment or a reality that happened in the home. Or you talk to somebody who's got a sexual dysfunction. How many of them? Again, not always, but often it happened in a moment as a child. A disproportionate amount of brokenness and trauma is actually inherited and passed on through the generations. Have you noticed this? You don't need to even look at the clinical data, although if you wanted to talk to some of our Christian counselors we have as part of our community or even doctors and pediatricians, they will tell you that to a disproportionate amount, what happens in the home carries forward in the next generation. And so it's absolutely critical that we figure this whole thing out. This is not to say that all dysfunction is the fault of the parents. However, I have noticed to a disproportionate amount that the problems that are in the parents have a tendency to pass on into the kids. Have you noticed that? No? Okay, let's pack it up. We're good. No, this, this, like you can look at statistical data. Prisons are filled primarily with guys who had no dads. Like, you can, you can find it if you, if you look. And, and I bring this up because this is kind of what the Bible helps us understand, that, that trauma and dysfunction and sinfulness is inherited. It is passed on through the generations that dysfunction actually comes through the family. And you don't have to look very far in the Scripture to find that. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's ordinance, His design for the family. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sinfulness enters the picture. And the first thing that happens is the original marriage is divided. Adam and Eve turn on one another. And then the, the, the craziest thing happens, Adam and Eve have kids. And that very sinfulness that was between them and in them is passed on into their kids. And we see in Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. And then you see it begin to ramp up and increase all the more. You go to Genesis chapter 5, you see the the descendants of Cain. You see Lamech, who's like far worse than his dad. And you see this downward spiral of what happens when a home is broken. 
And this is the picture the Bible paints, and you see it all through the Old Testament. However, I bring, this is why I bring this up. That the, 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 the family, although it has the power to pass on brokenness, here's the good news for us as believers. The family also has the power to pass on life and righteousness and an inheritance of salvation. And this is ultimately what you see. We don't have time to do a whole overview of the gospel, but in its purest form, is the gospel of Jesus not what happens when a perfect son honors a perfect father perfectly? And all life is changed through that family relationship. This is why I want to jump in today, that, that we have got to figure out what is that dynamic in the home between children and parents, and how do we see God do what he wants to do in our lives? For our text today, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're just going to look at this text today, Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul is giving directions to Christian households. He does this a few times in his letters, and here is one of the most just explicit, clear, practical things you're going to find in the Bible about how God wants your home to function. Let's read it together. Can you read it out loud with me, especially those of you who are online alone in your kitchen? Read this out loud together. Let's do it. You ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Come on. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's the first concept I want to give us today. Paul gives us... One concept, and he breaks it in two. That at the center of healthy homes is this call to be great children and to raise great children. It's twofold. It's not just our responsibility as children. All of us have parents. All of us are children. It's not just our responsibility to be great children, but it's also when you become a parent, our responsibility to raise great children. Children. So I want to break it in two, and let's, let's look at the first part of this today together. Great kids lead to great homes. Realization number one, here it is. I am responsible to be a great kid. I am responsible to be a great child. As a believer, it doesn't matter what your age is or what stage of life you're in, there is a commandment from God for us as individuals to be great kids. It's a simple but powerful concept. Before the Bible said anything about being great parents, it actually speaks to how we are as children. God actually places the first onus of responsibility in healthy homes on the kids, on us as children. All kids, whether grown or young, are commanded and invited to experience the blessing of God through our, can I call it, childing? Our ability to be great kids. This is God's design. I want you to look at the Ten Commandments with me. And in the Ten Commandments, for those of you who don't know, this was something that God gave the children of Israel. The, the fast forward on the story, God decides, I'm going to deal with the problem of sin and dysfunction on the earth through raising up a family unto myself, and they will be a blessing to all nations. 
This family gets enslaved by the Egyptians. God liberates them and they find themselves now not just as a family, but they're about a million strong and they are now creating a society. And so God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which are in effect God's building blocks for a healthy, flourishing society. And it's the actual like owner's manual on what it means to be human. You know how like if you buy a car, it tells you if you should put diesel fuel or unleaded in it or regular fuel? Well, that's what the Ten Commandments are for your life. It is God's owner's manual of how we are designed to function. And so he gives us these Ten Commandments and they go as follows. First, have no other gods, he says. I am the one true God. I have no other gods before me. Make no idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. And then number five, honor your father and mother. And then it goes to less important ones, like do not murder. (laughs) Now you're laughing. And and it is kind of funny, but you need to understand these are not in some random order. They are all built on one another. And the first four objectively are how you and I relate to God, correct? It has to do with our relations, kind of that vertical orientation with how we perceive our lives with God and how we operate with him. But then it shifts over here into how you and I operate with each other. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. And do you see how that kind of happens? It goes from this sort of vertical orientation to the horizontal, and yet there is this hinge commandment right here. That somehow, in some mystery, how you and I operate with our parents is connected to how we obey the first four commandments, particularly the first commandment, that, that when we honor God, we are next, the, the next thing that happens in sequence is we honor our parents, that this is a key, it's, it's, an, it's a hinge commandment that would, it's built and designed so that you and I figure out how to not just orient ourselves before God, but also to others. And here's the result. The result is this. When you do this, it brings life. There's actually an explicit promise connected to it. Did you catch it? Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. There is an explicit promise that Fruitfulness is connected to honoring your parents. It's a wild concept, but it's it's dead serious. Look what it says in Leviticus. Anyone who dishonors father or mother must be put to death. Such a person is guilty of a capital offense. Well, that's real serious, didn't it? But it's showing us a principle, and that is this. It's a capital offense. What's it telling us? That it's a matter of the flow of either life or death in how you and I honor our parents. It is a life and death issue. The principle is clear as day, and this is why Paul outlines it. He says, look, it will go well with you. You will be an agent and a conduit for life if you align yourself and learn how to honor your parents. Here's what I'm trying to say. This is a little clearer. When I honor God by honoring my parents, I align myself in the flow of God's blessing. When I honor God by honoring my parents, I align myself in the flow of God's blessing. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Wait, my parents are awful. Now, some of you, you know, you're at, you're at a stage of your life and you haven't realized that your parents are awesome and you just don't understand them yet. That, that happens. It's amazing. The older you get, how many things you look back on hindsight and you say, hey, my parents weren't actually crazy. 
if you have good parents. But a lot of you don't. Some of you have parents that were, were, there was severe dysfunction in your home. And you're asking yourself, so do I always have to do what they say? What does it mean? What does it mean to honor my parents? That's the question we need to ask. What is it to honor our parents? The word honor comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which means to like place weight. It's to put weight on something. It's to put esteem on something. It's to revere something. So what does it mean to honor my parents? Really quick, and I'm going to move on to parenting in a second. First, it's this, to honor your parents, regardless of your age or stage, whether you are a child living in your parents' household or you are, you're an adult now or maybe you're even a grandparent, you are still called to honor your parents. And here's how we do it. First, it's to respect or revere their appointment or their position. What, you didn't choose who your parents were. God chose who your parents were. And you didn't have a say in when you were born or to whom you were born to. And there is a humility that is required for us to just accept the fact that that is my parent and they deserve a certain degree of respect. But then it goes further than that. It also speaks to obeying your parents. Now, when you live in their care, you need to obey them. Now, where, where does it shift? Some of you are already thinking, my parent, my dad, my dad was an addict and he had terrible advice for me. Why would I obey him? Here's the backstop on obeying your parents. If you have a parent who is asking or commanding you to do something that goes against the commands of God, you do not have to obey them. That the law of God is the highest law. But otherwise, we are called to obey and honor our parents. And as we do, God connects blessing to it. Then ultimately, and this is for a lot of you, and a lot of us are getting to that stage too as our parents get older. We're called to care for them as they have need. That's what it means to honor, that God's design is that just as a parent is designed to care for a child and bring them up, as we get older, our kids then return the favor. It actually says it in 1 Timothy, like you should repay your parents as they cared for you. He says later, he says, those who don't look after their family are worse than unbelievers. That's heavy stuff. It's really quiet in here. Like getting a lecture. No, this is an invitation. God actually wants to bless our lives, and it's far more connected to how you and I honor our parents than I think we think about it. Great kids usually receive the favor of their parents, but hear me, always receive the favor of God. That's important, what I just said. Great kids usually receive the favor of their parents, not always, but usually. How many of you parents know when my kids are acting awesome, I am motivated to be awesome to them? Correct? Great parents usually receive the favor of their parents. Not always. But great kids always receive the favor of God. Always receive the favor of God. Being a great kid is a key to flourishing. Honor your parents. All right, teens, young people, honor your parents. Okay, middle-aged people, honor your parents. Okay, old people, your parents aren't even here, you still honor your parents. It pleases the Lord when we honor our parents. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's go to realization number two. Are you still with me? Told you, we're getting practical. So like, take notes and do all that kind of stuff to make me believe that you're interested. Okay, awesome. I know you're interested. I know you are. Great kids leads to great homes. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't clap your hands like a Karen. Great, great. great. Isn't that a Karen move? All right, don't do that. 
Great kids, great kids lead to great homes. Realization number two, I am responsible to raise great kids. God's design for flourishing on the earth is this, that great kids, great parents raise great kids who become great parents who raise great kids. That's God's design for flourishing on the earth. It's not complicated. It's clear as day in the scripture. God's design for human flourishing is that we learn how to become great parents as we become parents who then raise great kids, who then become parents who raise great kids. This is God's design for us. When we become parents, our role shifts. I had a conversation uh, just last week with a brand new dad, and he was talking about, like, he just kind of had that deer in headlights look. Any, Any parents remember that? It's just like, man, my whole life is just changing so fast. Like, yeah, here's God's design. When one baby enters the world, another baby has to leave. That is how God designed it to function. I I remember, y'all, do you remember, like any parents, I remember my daughter's 15 now, I was 25 when she was born. And I, I will never forget the day that the nurse comes in and says, okay, here's your beautiful little girl. You're ready to go home. We're like, by ourselves? <laughs> like, I, remember, I remember when they like, tested if I put her in the car seat right. And, she, and I like, left all this room because I didn't want to like, crush my daughter. And she's like, no, you got to be tighter than that. She comes in and like, yanks on the thing. And like, my daughter can hardly move. She's like, yeah, you shouldn't even be able to put your finger underneath the straps, right? That's the rule. And I remember driving like 35 kilometers an hour all the way home because I didn't want her head to fall off. Anybody, <laughs> anybody remember that? Any parents? You laugh. You wait till you have a kid. You're like, I can't believe they're letting me take this kid home by myself. Right? And you have to, you, becoming a parent forces you to grow up really fast. And, and, it's, and it's by design. And here's where dysfunction actually enters the picture. When you and I become parents, but we refuse to stop being children, dysfunction enters the home. I find I am at my worst as a parent when I'm operating like a child. Anybody? Can we be honest, moms and dads? And there are times where, like, I can remember when my kids, oh, I'm just getting too honest here. I remember when my kids are, my kids are like having tenter, temper tantrums and I yell back at them, stop yelling! Right? It's like not a good strategy <laughs> to help your child understand how to cope when things aren't going well. You, right? It's, it's, but when I'm at my best, I, I'm not operating as a child. I'm operating as a parent. Where the breakdown begins is when we refuse to own our role as parents and we continue to try to be children too. And you see that. You see it, you see it with overbearing mothers. It's really selfishness that won't let the kid go and grow. You see it with absent fathers. There's a lot of men, there's a lot of boys who can shave right? You won't, you won't let that thing go. You won't take responsibility. You want to play, continue to play video games, like, like all that stuff. Like it has to go if you're going to actually be the parent that God has called you to be. The key to flourishing homes ultimately is parents who in the fear of the Lord, hear me, don't have kids, but raise kids. Correct? Like, there, there is an active component. And this is what Paul is getting at. Look what, he, look what he says in Ephesians 6. He says, fathers, like parents, 
do not provoke your children to anger. I like another translation that says, do not embitter your, your children. Do not embitter them. Do not provoke them to anger by the way you treat them. So you're responsible to treat them a certain way, and then he gives it to us. Rather, bring them up, raise them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Raise them up. Do, do you notice the, I'm going to circle it. Do you notice the active component here? Bring them up. That, that this is not some kind of haphazard thing that, okay, I'm a parent now, hope it goes well. But you're actually actively involved. Like this whole, this whole free-range parenting thing couldn't be further from a Christian vision of parenting. Like that whole, like, we're going to let Benedict decide <laughs> how he wants to express his life. And we're good with him doing whatever, and we just feel like it's best if he just figures it out on his own. That is not the Christian vision at all. The Christian vision is hands freaking on. It's, it's mom and dad owning their role. And y'all, let me say this. It is not the teacher's job. It is not the government's job. It is not the coach's job. It is my job to raise my kids. So how do we do it? What, what do great parents do? I have three things I want to kind of highlight for us today that great parents do. Here's the first one. Great parents know how to balance the reasons with the seasons. Did you notice Paul says train them up in discipline? Train them up, raise them up in the discipline that comes from the Lord. It's about a process. I have found, and I'm still learning as I go, but I have found that being a good parent is, is an active thing that changes from season to season. And that I have to learn how to walk with my child at an appropriate age and stage. And this is kind of what Paul is getting at, that we're, we're called to actually bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. And if we don't do that, it provokes them to anger. That there is this kind of connection with how we discipline and instruct our kids. How do we, how do we manage these tensions and embrace the seasons and the process? Here, here's some thoughts I have for us. You, you can write these down if you find it helpful. But this, good parents raise their kids, helping them navigate, first and foremost, the what's and the why's. The what's and the why's. That, that we have got to manage the tension of providing discipline with reason. How many of you know if you as a parent are just all disciplined, but you never sit down and give the reason behind it, that can embitter a child? If you don't ever tell them why it matters, then you are just treating them like an animal that needs to be locked in a cage. But we, we don't raise animals. We, we raise human beings in the image of God. And part of our job as a parent is to give them the mind of Christ and to teach them how to think. And so one of our jobs is to walk with them in the seasons and provide discipline, boundaries, but also within that, as is appropriate, we provide explanation as to why it is that way. We, we, if you are all reason and no discipline, that also, that also embitters a kid. How many of you know kids long to have boundaries? There's safety in boundaries. Sometimes if a kid is acting out, it's because they want to know that there's, there's a consequence and there's someone who gives a rip. So we manage the what's and the why's. We manage the who's and the who-nots. Amen, parents? Look, 
there is an old adage that is 100% true. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. As a parent, it is my job to monitor, especially as my kids are younger, who their influences are. I once had a mentor tell me that you are the, you are the average of the five people that, are, that speak most into your life. And so my job as a parent is to walk with my kid and manage. And look, I want my kids as they grow to be able to manage their own relationships. Obviously, I don't want to be like a 65-year-old man showing up at work with my son saying, he can be your friend and he can't. Right? That's probably not, not a good vision. But as they are young, I want to be monitoring what the influences are on, on their life. I have no problem telling my kid, I don't want you hanging around that kid. And you're like, well, I thought we're on mission. Yeah, I am on a mission to raise great kids. And then as they grow up, I pray that they have incredible influence on others. But look, I have seen more times than not the, the negative influence pull down an otherwise good kid, not the other way around. It's the same advice we give to teens in dating. Don't do missionary dating. Right? Oh, I'm going to bring him to youth group. He's going to, he's going to accept Jesus too. Yeah, no, you know what usually happens? He pulls you out. And so we manage the who's and who nots. Is this getting too close to home? <laughs> I feel like it is. Maybe we're on to something. And we, we manage the where's and the when's, the boundaries and the freedoms and the seasons. We, we help our kids navigate when it's appropriate. I, I don't know where I heard this. I know it's not original to me, but this helped me understand my role as a parent and how it changes in the seasons. When you have your child, when you bring them home from the, the, the hospital, your first job for the first few years of their life is caregiver. My job is to just keep you alive. I'm going to give you food, make you go to bed. I'm going to give you clothes. I'm going to change you. I'm just going to keep you alive. Is that not the job for like the first few years? Then, then when they get a little older and they can walk and talk, you, you move from caregiver to cop. I am here to serve and protect, right? Just keep the peace. I'm going to give you some boundaries and I'm going to show you where they are. That's, that's, that becomes the job. Then as they move from childhood into adolescence, it begins to shift. And you start to move into the role of a coach where you direct them as they kind of become young adults. There's a little bit of cop in adolescence. Can I get an amen? Yeah, there is. But uh, my son is on camera one right now. You hear me, buddy. But, but as they grow older, the tone shifts into coaching, correct? Where you start to direct them. And then when we become adults... A right relationship with our parents becomes where we, we consult them. How many of you, uh, like me, I have good parents. I'm blessed to have good parents. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the wisdom of my parents who have gone first. Correct? I'm glad I have consultants with my same last name that I can call up and ask, how did you do this? What's your, what's your advice on this? And that's God's design as our kids grow. So what do great parents do first? They, they, they manage the season and they embrace the process. Second, here's what we do. You fight to keep your family Christ-centered. It's about priorities. And this is one of the number one jobs for us as parents who are trying to raise our kids in the fear of the Lord. Did you catch it in verse 4 back in our text? It says, raise them up in discipline that comes from the Lord. 
It's not in some haphazard vision for your life, but it's actually built on the word and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are called to raise our kids and plant our families on the rock that is Christ. Can I get an amen? Like, like our job is ultimately to be Christ-centered and to fight to be Christ-centered. Every family has a center. Whether you realize it or not, whether you've thought about it or not, or been intentional about it or not, every family has some factor or some value that it ultimately reacts to and revolves around. And if you want to figure out what your center is, do an audit of your time, of what you think about the most, what you prioritize the most, what you spend the most money on. Those things ultimately often are your center. And anything can be your center. Some, some families are grades-centered. Some families are sports-centered. Some families are relationship-centered. Some families are leisure-centered. You can center around anything. But the invitation of the Scripture is for us as parents to fight to be Christ-centered. That, that it's a decision that mom and dad have to make for our home. Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible is Joshua, when he comes into the land and they finally get the promised land and Joshua stands before the whole assembly of Israel and he says, look around. There are nations and religions and gods pressing up against us. And he goes, you need to realize today that they are not neutral, that they want to have your family and he says, look what he says to them. He says, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There's this decision that a dad and a mom need to make to say, like, this house will be Christ-centered, that we are planting ourselves on our faith. And it, and it, is, it is a tough balance, I, I know, I know like the, challenge, the challenge of navigating the, all the things that are competing for our time. And y'all, there is no silver bullet. There's no like perfect way to do it. I, I, like for, for us, my son's involved in sports like so many of you. And we want, we, I want him to play sports. And I want him to have those opportunities. But I also know you reap what you sow. And if I sow only the communication to my son that sports matters most, I shouldn't be surprised when he's 22 if he comes to me and he has other things that are more important to him than Christ. Because I didn't demonstrate it to him. And so there's times where you, where you pump the brakes and say, hey, we're going to do this first. Like, like there, look, the L.A. Lakers could call me and say, is your son available for a 10-day contract? LeBron James hurt his ankle and we need somebody for the playoffs. And I would say, he is busy May 31st and June 1st. He is going to OneCon. You can call back when it's done. <laughs> One conference. Some of you are like, crazy. man, you're crazy. No. I want my, there are moments where I have to decide for my family and say, this is a moment where we are claiming that ground and we are fighting for that ground. And I want you to just hear me today that, that the culture is not just idly saying, here, go ahead, be Christian. And your kids' schedules are not just idly saying, go ahead and be Christian. You and I have got to learn how to fight for it. This is why God commanded. Look what God commanded when he gave the law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. Do you see that? Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's God saying? He's saying, like, you have got to decide and intentionally move your family toward Christ-centeredness. And I have found that we don't drift toward holiness. Have you noticed that? We don't drift toward Christ-centeredness. And that's the job of the parent, to press in and be Christ-centered. So, first, we manage the process. We manage the priorities. And then, ultimately, number three, here, here's, what, here's what great parents do. They know they need help and where to find it. It's about prayer. It's ultimately about prayer and the power that comes from God. Here, here's why it's a little bit tense in the room whenever you get talking about family. It's because there are no perfect families. And there are no perfect parents. And there are no perfect kids. There was one perfect son and one perfect father, and the rest of us are just out here trying to do our best. And when I hear these statistics about, you know, generational brokenness, my anxiety goes up because I'm like just, I'm right back to driving my daughter home from the hospital thinking I'm going to break her. How many of you parents know like how fragile these kids are? You, you have conversations with people or you even see how shaped some of your friends or even you are about things that happened in your childhood and you think, how can I possibly raise a good human? Here's the bad news, you can't. But with God, all things are possible. And God has designed that for us as believers, that a huge portion of, of, of where the deep work and the best work gets done is actually by his hand, not ours. And so I know there's people here like that you have adult kids and right now they aren't, they aren't living for the Lord and you, you hear a sermon like this and you're thinking of all the regrets. Do you know what the invitation is? It's to, it's to invite the power and presence of God into your family in the here and now. And that as we learn how to do that, we start to trust that God is able to reach in and change things. And that's ultimately his desire. God designed a place in the family for himself. And that's amazing news. What does that tell you? It tells you that it's not all on you, mom and dad. It tells you that it's never too late because God is outside of time. It tells you that you have this divine X factor working in your favor for your family that no power of hell or darkness or sin or dysfunction or regret or shame can overpower. It's an amazing, amazing truth that we are invited to welcome the undefeated power of God into our families. Maybe someone needed to hear that today. I, I really feel like, like I, I get anxiety when I get thinking about these things because I know how easily I could screw my kids up. Anybody? Is it just me? Oh, wow. You, you, you come on up. You can, you can take the mic. No, we, we know. We know. Like how, how in the world... And I think the truth is you can't. But God has designed a space in the family for himself. And my job, hear me, is to get Jesus as welcomed in my home as possible 
and to get my kids in consistent proximity to him, watch this, through me. Something I take so much uh, comfort in. You read, uh, you read like First and Second Kings, and you see all these wicked descendants of David, these sons that just were train wrecks. And there's multiple times where the Lord says, "Because of your father, David, I will have mercy on you." I can't make my kids turn out a certain way, but you know what I can do? I can seek Jesus. And as he gains access to me, because of your father, Brent, I will have mercy on you. And I have grace for you. I was talking to a a couple from our church last week and they were grieving because they have some adult kids that don't know the Lord. And I just felt the Lord just speak to them. Do not underestimate the power of God through you in their lives. That where you have given your life to Jesus, like think about this moms and dads, when I've chosen to plant my life in Jesus, my family tree is on him, then all the branches are going to receive the grace that flows from him. Whether they know it or not, whether they're acting right or not, I'm choosing for them. Do you understand, moms and dads, that the best thing you can give your, your kids and your grandkids is your own life with Christ? And that through that, anything is possible. Grace can flow. Redemption can happen. God can even reach back in time and take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into good. And we have seen that happen over and over and over again. I love this quote. We read it last year. Mark Batterson said, You'll never be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. Prayer is your highest privilege as a parent. Don't just leverage it as a last resort when all else fails. Make it your first priority. Nothing you can do will give you a higher return on your investment. And the dividends are both generational and eternal. God will answer your prayers for your children long after you are gone. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children, grandchildren, and every generation that follows. Your prayers are prophecies. You can write the future of your family with your prayers. And y'all, we believe that. And we are seeing that happen. Last year, we, through a dream Pastor Seth had, we, we were given a, a vision of what, it would ha- what would happen if our church got mobilized in prayer. And we just, for a two-month period, just decided to just pray for, by name, our kids. And so last year we did that, and we had over 1,700 kids' names submitted uh, as prayers. And the fruit that we saw through that 
even just as quick as last year. We saw more kids baptized last year than ever before in the history of our church. We saw prodigals come home. We saw uh, families reconciled. We saw restoration happen. We saw, uh, in one instance, we saw there was a family in Halifax that put a name of their future baby who were struggling with infertility. Someone was praying for a baby yet to be, and they're holding that baby today. We saw incredible things happen through the power of prayer. And so what we want to do today, we have uh, over 2,200 kids' names uh, across all of our locations. And we as a church are going to get mobilized in prayer. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're at West or if you're in, uh, at uh, St. Stephen today, would you just, let's all stand to our feet. And here's the invitation. The invitation is, will you, as a member, a part of this church, will you commit? I'm just calling on the adults here, like uh, 20 and older, would you do it? Uh, kids, you can join us too. But I'm asking if you would come and take two or three or four of these cards, and between now and Easter, pray for these kids by name every single day. Now, all of these cards represent a prayer. To represent a prayer of the parents who already put it in and says, I want my kid prayed for. And it also represents a prayer, I believe, of Jesus. It was his idea that we did this. How many know that Jesus intercedes for our kids? How many are encouraged to know that, that Jesus is praying for our families? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite us to all of our locations uh, to come forward and grab a few cards. We need these cards gone. Now, we have two services here at the Valley, so you can get half of them anyway. Take two or three or four and grab them and commit to pray for them. Listen, I feel like, and we, we saw this last year, there were some people that didn't feel qualified to pray. Y'all, there's, there's no such thing as a good prayer, just somebody who's, who's honest and authentic before the Lord.